Let's go to Acts chapter 3. Acts, the third chapter. Acts chapter 3. I want to continue this series that we've been in for the last month called Life Changes. Like I said to you before, we are uh, talking about this on two fronts. One is a celebration. That's why we're showing the testimonies of changes in life, how God has. And we, you know, one of the big parts of what we do and what we ought to do when we get together, this is not a gloom and despair and agony on me gathering. Isn't that right? We're not here to cry in our beer, right? But what are we here to do? To rejoice, to shout the victory, to thank God for the good things that he has done. And if there's an absence of rejoicing in our lives, there's something wrong. Huh? If, you, if, you, if you find smiling and laughing and having a good time a rare thing in your life, that's an indication that there's something wrong in your life. All right? doesn't mean it can't be repaired, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have a large part of our gathering be, woohoo! glory to God, He has won the victory and I am glad. He has changed my life and I want to tell someone about it. Amen. But I realize that, that there are those who listen to that and they think, might think, hey, that's totally not me and maybe I don't fit here. No, you do fit here because any, everyone who's shouting the victory, very likely they have a time in their life where they weren't shouting the victory, where they weren't feeling at the top of their game. We have all these testimonies of people who were going through uh, sickness problems and marriage trouble and all kinds of, all kinds of situations and financial deals. And, and God comes through Every single time. He will never, ever let you down. And so if you need a change in your life, you're in the right place. And that's what we're talking about. Let's read our verse here in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. It says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, again, repent means that there's a change. It means I'm going the wrong direction, but I'm going to repent. I'm going to have a change of my thought processes, and I'm going to go a different direction in my life. All right? But the repentance or the change of mind must precede the change of life. I will experience a change in my life. In other words, a refreshing from God only when I have an alteration in the way I think, which leads to a different course of action. This is the change that, that needs to take place. Of course, when it comes to salvation, where I'm living my life my own way, I'm trusting in my own righteousness, my own goodness for my salvation, the change comes where I say, Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, I need your help. There is nothing I can do to save myself or to clean my life up. I throw myself over on your mercy. I put my trust completely in the finished work of Jesus for my salvation. And how many know that repentance gets you into heaven? It gets you eternal life. But ongoing in life now, changes are made when we recognize I'm going the wrong way. What I'm doing, what I'm experiencing in life is not working the way it's supposed to work, so I'm going to do something different. Sometimes you don't know what it is that you need to do different, but you come to this place where you say, Lord, something's got to change. Something's not working here. Something's got to be changed and altered in in the way I'm doing life. And so I lay myself out before you to direct me, to order my steps, to change my mind, to help me to think different and act different so that I can experience your refreshing or times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We were talking to you last week about 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. 
verse 17 and 18. Let me read that to you again real quick. It says, now, the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so what we've been talking about now is finding our identity as defined by God. Not who I am in me, not who, who I am according to my past, or by some other person's description, description or definition of my life, but I want to be defined by God. I want to be described by Him. Because here's the thing about the Lord. He's right. A lot of times people will judge you and say things about you. And they're wrong primarily because they don't know your heart. They don't know what was going on when you did this, when you said this, why you've made these decisions. Now, they, and that's not to justify all decisions and all thinking by any means. But they don't know what's on the inside of you. Isn't that true? Have you ever been misjudged? You certainly have if you've been around people at all. You've been misjudged before. People have impugned your motives and all kinds of things. But I'm telling you, God is right about you. He's right about me. And the thing that we focus on and must give attention and priority to is not who we are in the flesh, but who we are in the Spirit. All right? And when you and I were born again, something really good happened. Something really amazing happened in the Spirit, and that is old things were passed away, and all things have been made new. Now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. He took out death and imputed life. He took out darkness and filled us with His light. He took out hatred and all these things and filled us with His love. And that is the truth. That's who you are in Christ. Amen. And having that knowledge, the reality of our redemption being ever present in our thinking regarding our own selves and regarding others who are in the body of Christ is essential to experience that change in an outward way. Everybody with me? Man, that was really good so far. I think this is going pretty good so far. I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to stay for the rest. Praise God. And so we read this scripture and it says that we are transformed. This is an outward transformation now. We are transformed into the same image. What? The image of God, the image of the Lord, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. But how, are we do, how do we do that? We are transformed as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So as I look as in a mirror, a reflection... A mirror shows whatever is looking into the mirror. As I look in the mirror of God's word, of his declaration, what he has said is true about me in Christ, then I will see in myself the glory of the Lord. I don't see the glory of me. I don't see my own self. I see Jesus in me if I'm looking in the right mirror. And the more I see Jesus in me, the more I adapt the more I am transformed, the more I go from caterpillar to butterfly. Everybody with me? The more I, if, <laughs> if I live my life this way, sometimes people say, well, I'm just trying to be real. I just call things like I see them. And, uh, well, that's very carnal, you realize. 
That's very fleshy, very immature to call things like you see it. Huh? Because we walk by faith and not by see it. Huh? We walk by faith and not by sight. So I don't want to say it just like I see it in the flesh. I want to say it like it is in Christ. All right. And that description is not only accurate and not only true, it is absolutely transformational. It'll change our thinking. It'll change our living. It'll, it'll ultimately change our experience in life. Praise God. But it seems, it seems that that's not instant. The new birth, bam, instantaneous. Was lost, now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see. Right? But this transformation from glory to glory is progressive. It is from glory to glory, and it gets more and more glorious the more we see Him in us. Praise the Lord. Now listen, it's not just about believing that God can do something. That's admirable, but that's pretty low level. It's not just about believing that God can do something through someone. That's certainly a fine belief as well. I believe that God can use people. I believe that God wants to use people to do His work. Great, great, that's true. Let's come up a little bit higher. What do you say? Let's go a little bit further with this. Not God can. Not God can do it through someone else. Not I believe in this story that happened somewhere sometime. But I get to this place where God can and God will and God is and God has done it in me. What is the potential of God? That's fine to acknowledge God can do anything. All things are possible with God. Fine, fine. But it's got to get deeper than that. It's got to come closer to home where we can say, yeah, I know God can do it, but I know God can do it through my life. I know He can do it in me. He can do it through me. He can do it by my hand. He can use my voice. He can, he, he can do it through, through my ability to give. He can do it through, 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 the, through my praying. Everybody with me? This is essential. And if we're not there, and if we're just kind of in this abstract faith mode where we believe that God can do it and, and maybe He can use someone else, then we've got a little road to some ground to take here. Where it becomes real, it becomes alive in us. I don't know about you, I'm, this, I'm feeling real inspired to say this right now. I'm certain, certain, certain that God is talking to individuals in here right now. And moving you into a place of opening your mind and your thought processes so that you have not just faith in God out there, but faith in God in here. And that He is presently at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He is doing a transformational work in your own life, so that His power will flow in your life to change it, and through your life to alter the existence and lives of other people. Amen, amen. This is essential you guys, that we get this. This is necessary 
for the work of God that He has planned, that He has always desired to do through you, through us, and in this place come to full fruition and come to pass in His time, in His way, that we get on board and we see this and we acknowledge His work in us today. And that's the Spirit of God. Again, the more we behold the glory of the Lord in us, the more we become glorious in outward appearance. Praise God. You know, uh, Peter said in Acts chapter 10, remember he had a vision of the animals in the, in the big sheet and, and how God was bringing the Gentiles in and, and receiving them. He said in, uh, the scripture said in verse 34 of Acts 10, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. And then of course, uh, you know, so God in, in playing favorites per se, picking one over the other, the things of God are accessible to everyone. The ways of God, the power of God, the provision, healing, uh, victory in life, joy and peace and, and all these things, they're available to everyone. How many know we should, we should recognize this truth that the very fact that God has ever done it for anyone guarantees that God will do it for us. Or let's say it this way, His willingness is there. His power, His provision is available just because He did it for someone else. Really, a lot of that goes back to the cross because either Jesus bought and paid for it and therefore we have it as a result or He didn't buy and pay for it and then no one can have it. Amen. If Jesus didn't, didn't pay for all the sins of the world, God can't save anyone. If Jesus didn't, didn't pay for the, the healing of every sickness and every disease that has ever come across the, across the face of the earth, then God can't heal anyone. Because that would be totally unjust. There has to be a legal basis and a foundation for everything that God does in a person's life. And we recognize that God shows no partiality. James chapter 2 and verse 1 he, James said, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. They were treating one person one way and another person another way. One person had money, they would get certain advantages. Another person who didn't, they would be uh, lowly esteemed. And he said, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not the way God sees things. That's not the way God looks at us. Aren't you glad that every one of us are equal in Christ? That every one of us have the same position, no matter family background or position or status in life, no matter good decisions, bad decisions all of our days, when you get in Christ, we're, the playing field is even now. And now we all have what Jesus has done for us. Yeah. Do you know there's not one Christian in here that's more righteous than another Christian? So I saw someone out in the parking lot cussing, kicking something and yelling well, they might not have been acting real righteous. <laughs> they might not have been b- b- display, having that on display. But the reality is in the spirit now, their spirit person, they're, they're equal. They're the same. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 13. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's a wind of the Spirit of God blowing through us. The Lord is doing a work. He is enlightening our minds. Uh, he is bringing up to us up to a place of usability. He's bringing us into a place where His will is coming to pass. His plans are being established. His work is being done. What a privilege it is. 
What a joy to be here now in this day, in this hour, to experience the move of God, to be a part of the things that God has designed for us in the earth. Glory to God. Glory to God. <laughs> Ooh, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. <laughs> you know, I, I know this, that God uh, has made things available to us all. I mean, we're in the new covenant. Thank God for the new covenant. Day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out and God never took him back. That's why we're not singing, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. In one sense, you could say it this way. I heard this recently. Someone said, God sent revival on the day of Pentecost and never revoked it, never took it back. So stop praying about it and just go ahead and do it. <laughs> there are those realities and those truths. But you know, God also, also, not in, not instead of, but also at the same time, He does have a, a plan. He has a calendar. Yeah, He has a timeline. You can see that throughout biblical history. There are times when the fullness of time had come. God sent His only Son. There are things that God has mapped out and said, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to ha- have this, this planned and this prepared. And we know that concerning the major events of the coming of Christ, the second coming of the Lord, and all these things. But in the middle of it, you can even see through church history. There are times, and no doubt that prayer was involved and seeking God and, and those type of things, But God did something. He moved by His Spirit in a special way. Those who would recognize it got on board and were mightily used, mightily ushered into the very presence and uh, functionality of God's Spirit. Whereas others stood back on the sideline and criticized and, you know, critiqued everything and missed a move of God. You can see it through church history. And, 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 and no doubt things are the same today. No doubt we are in a time and in a place where God is stirring some things up again. And God is moving in, in, in ways. Yes, it's always been available to everyone in the new covenant. But God helps us out because so often people miss the mark. And so often people don't see and recognize and act on what God has said and done. And so he'll stir things up again. And there'll be a fresh move. There'll be an outpouring. There'll be a demonstration of God. And those who will pay attention. And those who will hearken unto the voice of the Lord. And hear him on the inside leading. They'll participate in a great move of God. They will participate in the great plan of God. Unfolding it right out before their very eyes. Yes, there'll be some on the outside that'll criticize. There will be those that will not participate. And they'll say, that's not right, and that's not of God. But the others, others will see what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and doing, and they'll be swept in to a move of God's Spirit and His presence, and His glory and power will be revealed, and lives will be changed by the thousands and by the hundreds of thousands, and many will come into the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're in the middle of it. Not going to miss it, are we? No, not going to be distracted. Not going to be swayed. We're going to stay in the middle of His grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's try to keep going here. 1 Kings chapter 13. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
1 Kings, the 13th chapter, and the first verse. It reads, And behold, a man of God went from Judea or from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar. Doesn't that seem kind of odd? You prophesied to the altar. Said, Thus says the Lord. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you, O altar. Now look at this, look at this, this is very interesting. They've been doing some things wrong. There's a lot of ungodliness in the, in the kingdom of Israel, serving false gods and all kinds of wicked things going on. And, and the Lord sends His prophet to speak. And how many know He still does that? He's still sending people to speak, to speak and declare what He is saying, what He is doing, what is on His mind, so that we can align ourselves with the thoughts and purposes and intentions of God, so we can be in, in line with what He's doing, not on the outside or not in opposition to what He's doing. He's still speaking today. Thank God He does in His mercy. But He mentioned here, real specifically, that there would be a child, and His name is Josiah. I mean, that's pretty cool. I like prophecy. I really like specific prophecy. You know what I'm talking about? There's someone coming. There's a kid that's going to come along. And you know what his name is? Josiah. Josiah. Now, let's fast forward 360 years. And go over to 2 Kings. Chapter 22. Now think about what this means. I know we're just flipping pages. But think about... Uh, think about 360 years and go back in our own history. I mean, we, our country wasn't even here. You think about that amount of time without today's technology either. All right? That's a while ago. I mean, that's a, that's a while ago. People forget things. People don't remember. That's not still hanging on the plaque on the wall because that was many generations ago. In Second Kings... In chapter 22, and you can, if you, if you were to start at the beginning, you see there was a guy named Josiah. He is eight years old, and he became king. Josiah, all of a sudden this kid, this kid shows up, a child shows up, Josiah, and he takes, takes on the, the rulership of the nation. But then several years later, uh, they were doing some things, and of course, Josiah was a was a guy who was right with God. He was living right with God, had the purposes of God in his own heart, but he was very ignorant of a lot of things, and I don't think he even knew about his own the own prophecy. I mean, it was so long ago, and it wasn't like all this material was just readily available to everyone, but they were doing some things with cleaning up the house of God and, and, and repairing the temple and, and, and fixing some things and dealing with the offerings and stuff that were coming in to do that. And let's pick up in verse 8. It says, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So they're digging through the rubble and they're moving uh, the old couches and stuff and whatever's in there. And uh, they're cleaning out all this mess and getting this place all fixed up. And he comes across the book. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And so Shaphan the scribe went to the king uh, bringing the the king word saying, your servants 
have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of those who do the work who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. He reacted very profoundly, very deeply to this. He ripped his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, uh, Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, uh, Shaphan the scribe, and Aziah the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do all that is written concerning us. And so Josiah came across this book, and, and guess who's in that book? All of a sudden, I think it's very likely that he comes across reading the prophecies of, uh, that had gone before him. And that how the Lord would raise up some kid uh, who would take over and would lead righteously and do some things on the altar. And his name was Josiah. And he... Is this possible? This is me. The Lord was thinking about me 360 years ago. The Lord had me in mind a long, long time ago. And, oh, wow. And he tore his clothes. And he saw the will of God. He saw what God had intended, what he had planned. And in the middle of this, he recognizes that God's plan involved him. That he was on the Lord's mind many hundreds of years ago. And here he is to fulfill his destiny. Here he is to be used as a tool in the hand of God. And everything changes. And everything becomes different. When you have a revelation that God sees you different than you see yourself. That God envisions your life and He sees something great. He sees something amazing and powerful. Something that He can use. Something that He can do something amazing through. And we think we're just living our lives just trying to pay the bills and get through work and and deal with this situation and that situation. And we see ourselves so small and so insignificant and often so unworthy of God to use. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God He has made us acceptable in His sight. And this is something He saw long ago. Something He had planned before you and I ever came on the scene. I tell you, not only hundreds, but thousands of years ago, God saw you. He recognized that you would be here. And He set up something amazing, a plan, something that He would have you to be involved with. And it would be a part of a move of His Spirit. It would be a part of something that He would do in the last days. And here we are. And I tell you what, we are in the last days. And you don't save your, you don't save your worst players for the end of the game. I'm telling you, you bring in the stars. You bring in those who can get the job done. You bring those, you usher those into the church who will respond to the call, who will take up the challenge, who will give it everything they've got and will be used of God. And this is where we are. This is who we are. God had us in mind. Josiah found his name in God's plan. And it altered his existence. And it changed the course and direction of how he saw himself and how he went about doing life. You know, there was another person that this happened to. His name was Jesus. How many know Jesus also? Someone said, well, Jesus always knew that he he was the Son of God. 
No, he didn't. He didn't come out of the womb saying, Behold, I am the Lamb of God. No, he came out of the womb crying and said, Mama, boo, you know. You know, didn't say anything. Wanted to eat and be taken care of and loved. And a baby, he lived as a physical human being. But you know, he had a relationship with his father. And he spent time in, in knowing what God had said. And you know, he found himself in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Oh yeah. How did he know? He found himself and certainly enlightened by the Spirit of God himself. But Jesus got up one day, the beginning of his ministry to preach. And he pulls out Isaiah. And he, they read, it's read, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, bring recovery of sight to the blind, all these things. He, he reads this passage, closes it a book, and said, by the way, the fulfillment of this prophecy is right here, right now. That's talking about me. And I tell you, Jesus was set on a course, on a mission that changed the world, that changed lives until our day, and He has changed ours. And you know where it started? He found Himself in what God had said about Him. He discovered that He was the incarnate one, the, 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 son of, the very Son of God. And He was on a mission to do something, that He was the anointed one. And He fulfilled His call. But He did it when He discovered what God was thinking about Him. He discovered that God had a plan. The Father had a great plan for his life. Now, most of you might be thinking, and I think this way as well. I've read the Bible, and I haven't found my name in there yet. (laughs) You know, when I read Isaiah, I don't see that he was prophesying about me. Well, I haven't found that specifically towards my own name in that regard as well. But I do tell you, I have found myself in the book. And if you haven't found yourself in the plan of God, in the Scriptures, then it will greatly reduce your ability to be used of the Lord. And you know where we find ourselves in the Scripture today? In Him. Through whom? By Him. In Christ. The Lord has identified each and every one of us as His sons and daughters to be viewed, to live our lives in Christ not in the flesh, not just in how we see ourselves, but again to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord in us and working through us. I have found my... If you haven't found yourself in Christ, you're greatly limited. But when we see ourselves in Him and we see the glory of God taking up residence and shining out through us, resonating from us in life, that's when... Our existence is altered. That's when you may figuratively or literally want to tear your clothes and say, I'm going a different way. I'm turning my back on who I used to be and how I used to think and how I used to live my life with such a a, a small perspective, such a temporary mentality. And I'm moving on into the greater things of God from this day forward because I am called a son of the Most High God. I've been born of Him because I've been born again. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I tell you, the Lord has been thinking about you and I for a very long time. 
And we need to know ourselves not only after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Praise God. Notice with me over here in verse 9. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes it's hard to speak in English. Not tempted to go into Spanish, though. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now notice, he's not just giving a list of specific sins that keep people out of heaven, saying if anyone does one of these things, they're not going to heaven. No, he's describing the character, the nature, really the sin nature of a person outside of Christ and saying this is the kind of stuff that goes on. This is the kind of things that that they walk in, that they live in. But notice what he said about these Corinthians. He said in verse 11, and such were some of you. Everybody say were. How many know people change? How many know lives changed? And he said, a bunch of you guys, <laughs> that's who you were. Those are the th- types of things that you were doing. That, is, that was the character. That was the reality of your nature, of your, your fallen condition. That described your life. You, a bunch of you guys were doing all that, kinds of, that kind of stuff because that's who you were. That's, that's who you were. Sinners. He said, but such were some of you. He said, you're not like that anymore. Well, what's, what's going on now? He said, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He didn't say, but you pulled your act together. You cleaned your life up. You stopped doing these things. He said, no, you were changed by my Spirit. You were washed and cleansed and separated and sanctified unto me. And now you're different. Now you have a new identity. Now you're a different person in me. But here's a a note, a side note concerning some of this. Is that if you read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, you'll note that Paul was dealing with these guys with a number of these very issues. And he was telling them, you got to stop doing this and you got to knock this off and you got to quit behaving like this. When in this list, he said, you were that way. But then in other parts of the book, he said, stop acting that way. In other words, one is describing their nature, the reality of who they are in Christ. And the other is dealing with their activities, is dealing with the fact that though they were righteous in Christ, their spirits were born again. They still had some practical outworking realities that they had to deal with. Some of them were still behaving in the very ways that he described right there and said, you were that. You know, this is a reality of how we should see ourselves today. You might be saying, yeah, I do some of those things. Or I struggle with some of those things. But you know, here's the word of the Lord to you. That's not who you are. That's not the description. That's not God's definition of your life. Just because you do that, just because you've fallen into that area or you're struggling with that particular activity or behavior, God still doesn't define you by it. 
He said, you used to be that. That's not who you are now. But Lord, I'm struggling with But stop seeing yourself as one of them. Our world tells us, well, you were born this way. You know, especially when it comes to sexual things. Well, you're born to act this way. You're born. Shut up. I've been born again. I've been born in Christ, and I'm not going to be defined by my feelings, by what I'm tempted to do, by, by, by what seems like, you know, everyone in the world want, want me to do. I'm defined by Jesus. I've been washed and cleansed. And see, when we view ourselves in that light, we can live it. We can operate that way. We're not be limited by the description of ourselves, by our feelings, or what we're tempted to do, or what someone else has labeled, or what we've labeled ourselves to be. But defined by Jesus. This is who I am. Others will always define you by your behavior. And I'm not ascribing an irresponsible attitude towards life where we don't take responsibility for what we do and how we act. But I'm telling you, there needs to be a new image. There needs to be a vision of God inside of who we are, who He wants us to be, and what He wants us to do. Praise God. I like to encourage parents when your kids are acting up acting the wrong way, that you don't refer to them as their action. You know, oh, you little brat. You're just a, no, no, no. You're acting like a brat. You're just a, no, no, no. I, I don't, wouldn't encourage you to say that. You don't want them to be defined by that, to them to see themselves as a bad kid, as a, as a whatever description of their activity is. But say, no, you're a good kid. You're an honest person. You're a, you're, you're a kind person. But you're not acting that way right now. You're acting contrary to who you really are. I, I know that's not who you are. You see, that's the way the Lord would deal with us. He's not going to call you a rascal. You know, just a good for nothing, just a pathetic. No, no, no. Righteous in Christ. Beloved and sanctified and set apart, clean and powered, been given authority in Jesus' name. You are the head and not the tail. You are victorious in every situation. You are filled with my joy and my peace. You're just not acting like it's true right now. So knock that off and come back into the place of who you really are today. Amen.